Looking today, we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand because it's a long scripture, but I want you to read along with me. I think Mark has it on the uh, board. Colossians, and we're not going to go all the way through uh, verse 15. We're going to throw 1 through 10, Mark, right now. If we have time, we may get to the rest of it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and establishing your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. May the Lord add a blessing to read his word. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we ask you to open up our minds and our thoughts, let our thoughts be upon you and your word. May the word be given in such a manner, Father, that it glorifies you. Let my words be yours and not mine. And Father, we'd ask you just to calm the spirit and give us a sense of knowing you in a real way today and understanding the meaning of the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I titled the sermon Protection Through Awareness. And sometimes the reason we have problems in church is we're not even aware of what's on, going on around us many times in a church. We don't become involved. We don't listen. We don't look. And one of the things that Paul had a problem with, again, he was writing to a place that's in, right in the middle of modern-day Turkey, around A.D. 62. Now imagine the communications in that day. How many of you have a cell phone with you this morning? Okay, how many of you are going to turn it on a message while I'm preaching? I don't see any hands, so. What do we have today? Instant communications, do we not? Instant. Look at what Paul was dealing with. It might take months for a letter to reach a congregation. Someone he is concerned about, someone he is caring about, someone he maybe had never seen. Uh, I'll never forget my first tour in Vietnam and my ability to communicate with Bobby. Today, they can get on a satellite phone from the foxhole and call their wives, or in some cases, their husband, according to who's in the foxhole. I left Bobby seven months pregnant and having labor pains. She was due on November the 16th. December came, no baby, no letter. Around Christmas time, I finally got a letter that said I had a son born three weeks late on December the 8th. 
That was communications in that day, and that was in 1965. I know some of you aren't that old. But I think all my mail went on slow boat, not the airplanes. At least it seemed like that. Communication was difficult. There was a time, you know, big time lapse. By the time I resolved her problems, she had already resolved them herself. And she finally probably got, to, I'm not sure how many letters got trashed, but but, you know, there's nothing like a face-to-face -face when you're communicating with someone. Because you know whether it's being honest most of the time, you see in their face. I had an experience with someone who's trying to sign a contract to cut down some of my trees. And uh, uh, he wasn't very truthful. But face-to-face, -face, you could tell what someone's communicating. But... I am thankful for one thing. Paul had what? The Holy Spirit of God to put flight on his words and to put meaning in his words. And, but today we're going to look at the purpose of Paul's concern and reason for Paul's concern, the practical application for Colossians and practical threat to the doctrine of salvation. First, let's look at the purpose of Paul's concern. That's in Colossians 2, 1 through 3. But there's three aspects of Paul's concern here. Number one, the desire to encourage. And I'm going to turn just to Ephesians 3.17. You might turn there if you'd like. Ephesians 3.17. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you be enrooted and grounded in love. Paul was writing that to the Ephesians, but he's also talking about love here in Colossians. And when you look at it, what does it mean to be rooted and grounded? And it's very simple to me, to know the love of Christ for his people, to know the love of Christ. If you know Christ and know the love of Christ, you're grounded, you're rooted. But in a church, it's a group task. And the growth of the body spiritually depends on what? For a church. If you look in verse 2, Colossians 2, Paul says, having been knit together in love. Knit together in love. And I was trying to figure, how am I going to illustrate that? Many of you, I don't see too many people sitting on their front porch knitting today. Anybody knit? I thought about bringing one of my sweaters and then pulling it apart. But that wouldn't do very well to show you how you can destroy a sweater, but knit together. And I thought about a patch of grass I have in my backyard. Now, all of you are trying to figure out how I'm going to illustrate that. But I have, I, and I woke up, by the way, I woke I was trying to remember what they call that grass because I knew it from South Carolina. I only started out with a small patch when I bought my house. I uncovered the leaves off of it, got it cleaned up, and this patch has started growing. But it has runners. Each one of those runners have little roots that go down. And they'll even crawl up on the concrete. And what I do when they're up on the concrete, I gently pull them around just detach them and put them back on the ground. But when they come together, they make a beautiful patch of grass. It's a carpet. 
but it takes a lot of runners. And what do they do? God's made them in such a way that they do what? They knit together. And they have that bond and they make that carpet. But it takes a lot of shoots or stringers or whatever you want to call them running out. And all I've just seen grass that just creep out and runners. And this little patch has grown from a few square feet to several square feet. I have a feeling maybe by the time I die, it will have covered my backyard. I had a little patch of grass similar, but not the same thing in Muscatine, and I had four square feet and it didn't cover the backyard in 20 years. I won't live 20 years, but, but think about it. Each little string of, of grass is just like each Christian in a church. They grow. Sometimes they take off a runner. They take off running. But sooner or later, God brings that church together what? Every individual becomes like that patch of grass, knitted together in what? Love for each other, a love for Christ, and demonstrating that love in their lives. That is being knit together. But it's not a thing we do. You see, God do it in nature he also replicates it in churches. And that's what he's done in this church that Paul's writing to. Paul talks about it in Colossians 1. Knit together. It's a beauty to behold when you see that in a church. It, it brings about a change in the inner man. It brings about a change when you're bonded together. Because what do you do when you're bonded together? Those who knit, what do you get, get when you put them, bring them together? Strength. Strength. We're weak by individuals. But when we bond together, we have that strength. That inner man is strengthened. Don't matter our health conditions or what. It's a spiritual thing. It's a thing that means something in your life. When you have someone you can call and depend upon, pray together, you're knitted together. You're strong. But again... It's like a knitted sweater. You can have one little shoot start breaking apart and tear a church apart. We're going to look at that later. He also talked about something else, another aspect of his concern. Wealth. We say we'll talk about that all day, but what, is, what wealth is he talking about? A wealth that comes from the full assurance, or the NIV says, a complete understanding of what? The knowledge of God's mystery, which Paul preached. A knowledge of Christ himself. The source of wisdom for everything. Verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, knowledge can be great, but a little knowledge can be dangerous. I want to give you a little story about a lady that had a little knowledge. How many of you ladies changed oil in a car? None of you have ever changed oil in a car. None of you have ever changed oil in a car. Okay. How many of you know where the station is you can have your oil changed at? Okay, now you're on your own top of things. When I first went to work at McDonald Aircraft Company, we had a huge department of engineers. And we had a young lady there that she's a young engineer. She's making, had a degree. She's making all that, 
money and she bought a BMW. And she decided she was going to change the oil. She got under that car and one of the first plugs she saw, she took it out. And about 80 weight oil came out. So what did she drain, guys? The what? Close, transmission. In the manual stick, she drained the transmission oil, 80 weight oil. Now that didn't ruin the car because she discovered her problem or somebody pointed it out, but it could have. A little knowledge applied in the wrong direction can be dangerous. Also, while I was in Muscatine, we had a young man, well, not a young man, middle-aged, that lost his life in an electrical accident in a big factory. He had all the knowledge. He had the electrical knowledge. He had full knowledge of what he should do. But he pulled a big switch on the power panel. Then he proceeded to start to tear something apart. The only problem in a commercial big factory is that many times they have more than one source of power coming in. He had only killed one source. He hadn't killed all the sources. He died because of his running ahead and being doing what he knew, knew better with head knowledge. But he ran ahead, got anxious, get the job done and ran ahead. But we kind of sometimes destroy our lives when we run ahead of God. When we use the knowledge of God or the knowledge we have and we run ahead of him, we destroy our own lives. But Paul had another concern. We find that in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He says, say this, in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. I want you to think of something for one moment. How many of you are intimidated by somebody that has a higher degree? and just tries to give you persuasive arguments, tries to use their, their master, their doctorate as a head knowledge of just running over top of you and the knowledge. No, no one's intimidated in here. I used to be, I found out how <clears throat> some doctors don't know how to water their plants. You know, it's a, a degree doesn't always say anything. But Paul said, I say this order one may delude you with persuasive arguments. People can have good sounding arguments about the Bible. They can say all kinds of words. And there's another, they find sounding arguments. But does that, what does that change? Shouldn't change anything in your life. But today, what would they do? How do they change things today? That's a problem we have today. They would take all those fine sounding arguments and what would they do? Where would they post them? On the web, create their own website, have their own site. So how many people would they reach with false arguments and persuasion today? How dangerous is it today for people that get on the internet that don't listen to God when, and ask God about it when they're looking at something? 
What uh, Paul say to do? Well, let's just turn to, I'm going to turn to Romans 16, 17 for a moment. I want to read it for you real quick, like 16, 17. Paul said, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. I see today a whole nation of people that are being deceived. They believe what they read on the internet. And if you do that, you have a problem. Talk to the pastor about it. Because if you believe everything that's on the internet or everything that's in the newspapers, how many, how many of you have known someone that believes almost everything written in a column in a newspaper? Anybody ever done that? But there's a practical application to this or practical protection for this. And you find that in verse 5. Because Paul talks about what? For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Good discipline. Somebody said that's a military term. It is in some ways the way they use it here. But having your camp in order, not haphazard, keeping things together, how does that apply to the church? Well, one thing is know you have good teachers. Make sure your instruction is organized. Make sure what you're doing is godly. Make sure your people know the word of God. But also, Paul said, stability of faith, good discipline and stability of your faith. He's rejoicing because what did Colossians have? They had it. What's stability of faith? I put it in very simple terms. They knew what they believed. Now, you may say that that's. Sounds very simple. It is very simple. But see, I still find people that grow to be senior adults that do not know what they believe. Their faith is like this. It's like that. They're wavering. They don't know what they believe. And part of that problem is some of them are susceptible to what they hear on the radio, what they hear on the TV. And so what they believe this Sunday and who they listen to versus next week and who they listen to is how their faith goes. That is not rooted and grounded. The Colossians were rooted and grounded in Paul's mind from every report he heard. They were rooted and grounded. Because they had kept it together. They had good discipline. They knew what they believed. Because they were keeping the teaching of a faithful preacher. They were keeping the preaching and in their lives. The word of God in their lives. Now, we have a miracle here. They didn't have that. They had individual teachers that went out and taught them. 
And when you've got my memory today, that's, that's, that would be very hard to keep a hold of everything. But they did through the power of the Holy Spirit. They also look at the practical application for the Colossians of all this. What in Paul and Paul in 6 through 7 said, do what? Remember your past. Remember your past. And verse 6, it says, as, therefore have, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You haven't received something that is nothing. It's not a vapor. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've received Christ. You've received salvation. And if you go look back at Colossians, well, I want to first just make a statement about verse 6. I'm about to run past myself here. Said, As you have received Christ the Lord, the Lord is important here, the way it's stated in the Greek and everything else. He is the Lord. And if you go back to Colossians 1.18, he says, He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Now, the false teachers denied that. That's one of the things the false teachers denied. But they also said here, walk in him. Walk in him. Okay, we have a trivia question here I have to ask to get you back in, in the vein to wake you up. Who had the longest walk in the Bible? Who had the longest walk with God in the Bible? Bobby? Enoch. I had to pick on her. Y'all are looking at us. What did he say about Enoch? He walked with God, and what did God do? Took him. Why did he take him? He didn't even, Enoch didn't even have to die. God took him. We won't give you the other trivia question, who was the other one he took. But that is the walk we aspire to. The walk with God. A constant, daily, everyday walk with God. Your walk. That is your protection. Your walk. Walk in him. Walk in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Walk in the love that Jesus Christ has given you. Walk in the power of that love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in it. And then you will have what? Unity. Knit together. A power together. If everyone in here was walking in Christ and the world was seeing that every day in their life with every contact we would not be able to seat everybody that be here because they want to have what you have. I'm not, with my age right now and what's happening to my body, I do not want to live as long as Enoch. Amen? But I would pray that I would love to have the walk with God that Enoch had. The walk. And then it goes on to verse 7. It says, also, 
Remember your roots. I just went too far. Hang on a second. I knew I'd run ahead of myself. I jumped one whole thing. Let's look back at Colossians 1.10. I jumped a whole paragraph here for myself. Colossians 1.10. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. How do you walk? In a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him. Not yourself, not neighbors, to please him. Bearing fruit. I only listed two fruits. Love for others and forgiveness. If you can just start with that, you'll have that knit together. Because God will bring that together. Love for others and forgiveness. I've had 58 years of marriage only because of a godly wife who had forgiveness in her heart. And some of you said, amen, you know me. But understand that. You may understand it in your own life. Love for others and forgiveness. Then let's go on to verse 7. I'll get back back to it in a second. It says, having been firmly rooted. In other words, Remember your roots. JB, can you remember how many years ago you received Christ? How many of you can remember your first day as a Christian? I see several hands. That's a time to remember. What took place then? What continued then? How did your life change then? The problem in life is we, we tend, to, tend to forget our roots and how it was then when Christ came into our life and we get sidetracked, derailed. We turn aside the detour. That's going to be a short sermon. Oh, that's already preached, so you're okay. You're safe. Remember your roots. We don't have the time, but I was going to have you turn to page 456 in your hymn, though, but how many remember the hymn, How Firm a Foundation? How Firm a Foundation. What's our life built upon? The Word of God, Jesus Christ in us, and what God has preached. It all says, says, remember your gratitude. Remember the change that came about in life. But there is a threat in life. And I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but we're going to look again. At, we'll look at Colossians 2, 8 through 14 just for a short time. A practical threat to doctrine of salvation. And... Human, human tradition is one of those things. In Galatians 4.9, I won't go there. But in Galatians 4.9, it talks about weak and worthless elemental, elemental things. I can't even say the word, and I wrote it down. I can write it, but I can't say it. Weak 
things. Human tradition. How much in a church is tradition and how much is truly worship? And we still have contact with two churches. My daughter's in a church that I was in when I became a deacon when I was licensed to preach. And we have our old church that I pastored in Muscatine. And again, we have this church. Many problems that each church has are problems because they want tradition instead of what the Bible would have them to do, instead of having God's word. They want tradition. They want a certain color of pew. They want a carpet. And then they want certain things, how they sit, how they meet, time frames, all these things, the music. And believe me, it, Music is not a discussion just in this church. It's a discussion in every church. The most recent thing I've heard was an older person went to the older class and said, what would you, I told his pastor he was going to have a survey done. And so he took a survey about music, but he took it in the old people's class. (laughs) So what do you think they said? I want old hymnals, traditional. He didn't go to any other classes. That's how tradition gets into a church. Tradition is a sickness. It's a weakness. And you say, oh, I know some traditional things that are great. Yes, there are some traditional things that are great. The danger is in our churches today, and it talks about it in verse 8, bringing the world's ways into the church. Bringing the world's way into the church. Sometimes we do it when we're talking about finances. But man's ways are not always the ways that we should operate the church. God has to be in it. And if God's totally out of it, we should re-examine it, the way we're doing things. Now, I'm going to step on some toes this morning, and I intend to. Listen closely what I say next, because I've seen it over the years, and I've seen problems with it. How do we bring the world into the church? We have a teacher from the elementary school or the high school comes in. They're a great teacher in the elementary school or their high school. Then so that means they're going to be a great teacher in the church. Right? No. Thank you. No. Why? Because their spiritual condition is what makes the difference. How many nominating committees actually look at the spiritual condition of the person they put in a class? Or they just finally checked off a block and says, we got him! Or we got her! Worldly means being brought into the church. And 
But the cure for all this is what? Verse 9. And for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. <coughs> Remember the basics. The basic is what? Number one, one of the battles they always had. Jesus is completely God. Because the false teachers have tried to teach otherwise. He is completely divine and completely human. Our finite minds have a hard time embracing that and understanding. We don't have to understand it, just accept it. It's the word of God. It's difficult for us sometimes to understand certain things. I had a lady tell me she didn't want me to say the problems I had in life or their weaknesses from the pulpit. I told her I was human. I was a sinner saved by grace. And I did have problems in my life. We all do at different times. But we need to remember the basics and who's in charge. Christ had a completely divine nature in bodily form. But remembering him, you are what? Complete. Made whole. You didn't make you. You didn't create you. God is, is in work in you. We're all a work in what? Progress. A work in progress. God works on us. You know what's the, one of the greatest pleasures I have today? I've stumbled over my words. I have no problem with that. I understand it. I'm getting old. I'm going to do that more and more. But the greatest gift I have today in standing up here is to look out and see a glow in some eyes that wasn't there three years ago. Because God's working in some people's lives more and more that wasn't happening three years ago. See, lives changed because they're understanding the scripture. They're looking to Jesus and not the world. Their lives are changing. Their inside is changing. Jesus changes the inside, inside out. You might see the outside and shake your head about someone. But the greatest relationship is when you sit down with a person and you find out what they're like on the inside. How their love for people, their care for people and see the work of God in them. But he said to the Colossians, remember in him you're complete, made whole, but you don't need anyone else to complete your salvation. Jesus Christ is who you need. And you need to remember what? The power of the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He nailed our sins to the cross as he was nailed. Forgiveness came through his death. And remember the power of your walk. No, you're not going to walk 365 years as Enoch walked. But for some of you, it's a long walk just to get through the day. Right, JB? Right. It's a long walk to get through the day. It's a struggle to get through the day. 
One of my struggles in life right now, I have never been limited until the recent, just the recent past. I'm getting more limited every day, physically. Do I repeat myself a lot? Am I a loud mouth? Yes. But God gave me a life within. A life that doesn't go away. A life that doesn't weaken. He gave me the power of Jesus Christ in that heart. Jesus didn't want a circumcision of the flesh. He did a what? A circumcision of the heart. What does that do in your life? It makes your life complete. You don't need anything else. You don't need all these programs on TV. You don't need the internet. Most of all, you don't need your cell phone. You need a time with Jesus Christ. That is your protection. If you walk as Enoch walked, what did he do to rate being taken to heaven without dying? He walked with the power of God in his life for every moment of his life. He walked with God. That is what it means to walk. It doesn't mean to stroll up and down and run up and down and jump around. What it meant was to walk with God. Walk under the protection of God. Walk through the pattern that God's given us in the Scripture. Walk in the protection of knowing what's right and wrong by following God in the Scripture and knowing the Word. Your greatest protection for you is the Word. What did Jesus, how did Jesus answer Satan? The Word. Satan didn't win. Jesus Christ won on the cross. But if you walk in your own power, you're weak. You're weak. Because you will be available to be persuaded to do those things which Paul warned about. Paul had a concern. When you have a beautiful church and everything's going right, I always look for when the devil's going to come in front door. When are they going to be persuaded? When are you going to be persuaded? Well, I want to persuade you today is to do one thing. As Paul did for the Colossians, remember your roots. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember the power he gave you. And a reminder, do not fall back to your old ways. Because it is very easy to fall back to the old ways. Oh, I just want to sleep in on Sunday morning. It feels good. I want to go to the pond. I don't want to go to church. Easy ways. There's a lot more illustrations I could give you. But what I want to see this church grow to be it's just like I described that centipede patch in my backyard. I want to see it knitted together in a combined unity that only God can give. A God of grace that gives us a lot of grace, especially to me. He gives me a lot of grace. But he gives you a lot of grace. But he gives you unlimited power 
claim it and live it and walk it. Musicians, come. be knitted together as a church said many times people will forgive any shortcoming in a church except a lack of love and one thing we can truly say about Calvary is we love one another how can we show that greater how can we excel still more in doing that just reflect on that for one more musical verse of I surrender all